0: I have been blessed to go on pilgrimage to the Holy Land twice. One of the greatest blessings of journeying to the Holy Land is that when you hear about Jesus' life and his ministry, you can really visualize the steps that he took and the places that he went in his earthly ministry. For example, in today's gospel, like many other pilgrims to the whole great city, Jesus descended early in the morning from the Mount of Olives. I imagine that it was... Typically hot and dry, as he passed down through the Garden of Gethsemane and walked momentarily into the Kidron Valley, which is down below, before ascending up to the Golden Gate that opens in the wall city of Jerusalem. And he went there ready to preach after that journey. It's a specific route where he was going to the temple. And as he entered the hustle and bustle of the temple courtyard, I imagine that the crowds immediately surrounded Jesus in the long shadows cast by the massive temple in the early morning sun. Jesus instantly created a stir. As the scriptures report, the crowds had never, ever witnessed a preacher that spoke with such authority about his father. Jesus wasn't hearted and arrogantly superior either, like the scribes and the Pharisees. No, he preached about his Father's mercy, his love, and his forgiveness. As they had so often been cast in sermons as hopeless sinners by the religious leaders, the people in darkness found the light of salvation in Jesus refreshing. That is, Jesus taught them that in spite of their ignorance and their spiritual poverty, they had a chance to be holy. Something sinister was happening at the same time. That is, this was the perfect setting for a trap, and Jesus was the intended victim. The scribes and the Pharisees brought forward a pawn, a woman who had been caught in adultery and made her stand in the middle of all of these men. There was nothing spontaneous, incidentally, about this encounter. The scribes and the Pharisees planned this ambush for months. First, they needed Jesus to appear in the temple courtyard. Secondly, they would need a big crowd around of the little people who customarily hung out listening to Jesus' hope-filled message. And finally, the adulterous woman, not a man, mind you, for a man had rights according to the law. She was in custody and not not only accused of committing adultery, but indeed she was caught right in the act. There was no question that she had been a participant. As we say in basketball country in March and April, it was a slam dunk case, not only against the woman, but the trapped Jesus of Nazareth. Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What say you? I see the smugness or hear the smugness in that reading. The scribes and the Pharisees had Jesus cornered. The woman is clearly guilty of an offense that was punishable by death, by stoning. A violent, violent act. Leviticus 20.10 reads, If a man commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall be put to death. Further, Deuteronomy 22.21 20, reads, But if this charge is true and the evidence of the girl's virginity is not found, they shall bring the girl to the entrance of her father's house, and there her townsmen shall stone her to death. Thus, Shall you purge evil from your midst? So what is Jesus supposed to do? On the one hand, as a rabbi, it is his responsibility to uphold the law. But he was surrounded by a crowd that just heard him authoritatively preach about his father's love and mercy. If he endorses the law, he loses the credibility that he has gained with these crowds. If he refutes the law, he will be publicly shamed by the scribes and the Pharisees as an imposter, a vain preacher of some other law than the law of God. Obviously, the scribes and the Pharisees are not genuinely in need of Jesus' legal advice, right? There is nothing ambiguous regarding the law in this matter and this woman's situation. Again, she is merely a pawn, a means to an end to publicly shame Jesus of Nazareth. And they are not using the law as a means for justice or love. Rather, they are looking for a way to shame Jesus. So Jesus bent down and began to write on the ground with his finger. Scholars have proposed interesting theories regarding that sketching on the ground. Perhaps he was stalling as his mind raced for an answer, an appropriate response. Without any real evidence... It does make for a great story, though. Some theorize that Jesus wrote the sins of the scribes and the Pharisees in the sand. I like that one, but there's no evidence, right? More than likely, he probably wanted to create an uncomfortable silence, causing the scribes and the Pharisees to nervously question Jesus again and again so that the crowd can sense their insincerity, prompting sympathy for the woman. Finally, Jesus stood up and said, let the one of you among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. I imagine that it was responded by seething anger. After all, they had plotted, planned, strategized, and conspired the perfect attack, the perfect plot. Yet Jesus craftily responded in a way that exposed them as frauds. Yes, they too were. Are sinners? Yes, they too are in need of the mercy, love, and forgiveness of God. Interestingly, Jesus bent down again. He starts to write on the ground. Right? Perhaps a lesson can be learned for us there. That is, if Jesus remained standing with with his arms across, with some sort of lopsided grin as he tapped his foot at the scribes and the Pharisees, perhaps that would have begun some sparring. Instead he refuses to use his response to jab and jeer at others. Enough is enough is enough. And he humbly responds to their question and allows them to think about and absorb what he is saying. And in response, they went away, the scriptures tell us, one by one, beginning with the elders, leaving him alone with the woman. And as the scriptures tell us, he stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir. Then Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. There's so many things to be learned here. First, sometimes people, often unbelievers, use this passage and say we're not supposed to judge the behaviors of others. Do not cast the first stone, they say. wrong. Because at the end, Jesus says, go and sin no more. In this passage, Jesus publicly doesn't judge the woman with shame and condemnation, as the scribes and the Pharisees had done. But when he is alone with her, because he loves her, he most certainly corrects her out of concern for her, as no one really wants to be caught in the lust and the shame and the embarrassment of adultery. What about us? Do we fraternally correct and encourage people to walk away from sinful patterns in their life? Or do we hide behind the secular no-judging rule? And there's another important lesson here. That is, if you use religion and if you use people for your own gain, eventually that plan is going to backfire. If nothing else, it makes us bitter, angry, and judgmental of, behavior, of people, not behavior. It's just, there's a difference. It seems like in the age of social media, there's a lot of Pharisaic behavior to be had. Yes, there is a lot of online mobs that gather around sinners today, ready to pounce, to stone, and to shame others with their words. We blog and we, treat, we tweet and we text And we meme our way to feeling superior than those sinners that Jesus protects and upholds and encourages to go and sin no more. Sometimes we also shame our own children, our own spouses, our parents, our friends, and work associates to get the upper hand. Yes, we are right while those sinners are wrong. But by his actions today, Jesus reminds us that we do not use people and we do not use the law, religion, the commandments as a means to shame people, to jab people. Instead, on this fifth Sunday of Lent, as we turn to Passion Tide, let us think about the people that might need our loving correction, our loving challenge Let us think about the ways that we can patiently and humbly draw them to Jesus by our words of correction. So Jesus teaches us today that on the one hand, we are not to condemn people. But on the other hand, we are not supposed to tolerate the continuation of sin in our culture that destroys the lives of others. What a tremendous example for us of authentic love.